this is Rugga Matrix America. Welcome everybody to the show. This is Alex Goff, Editor-in-Chief of RugbyMag.com, joined as always by Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. And we're going to get into it really quick because we have a lot to talk about with the Eagles, with the culmination of the D1A college season, with the culmination of the men's club season, partly done, partly about to happen. And of course, we also have the CRC coming up. So a lot of stuff going on. So Bruce and Pat, hey, Bruce, how's it going? I'm pretty good, Alex. Things are uh, things are shiny and lovely on my end. It's <laughs> all my daughter's spring play at uh, her her play group, her town play group, and that's uh, that's about as exciting as I've been. And I, obviously, I watched the rugby on web streams, but and I actually saw some of the international rugby though. The, the Rabo Direct Championship and uh, and the Premiership Championship. Good. The, yeah, there's a lot going on. What did you think of that uh, that red card to uh, Hartley in the Premiership Final? Red card for basically nothing off to yeah, the ref. Yeah, he did warn him. He warned another guy, and he warned him specifically. And then he told the guy when he was making the kick, that he couldn't just kick it directly out, that he had to have a 22. He did that. Then they got the penalty. Hartley went nuts. It's just not unlike him. Um, you know, I look, I don't know what uh, – I, I don't agree with a red card for it, but they gave a red card and an 11-week ban. I mean, there must have been something in it. I'm sure there's a bit of history there, but uh, – yeah, I don't. The, no, the, I, I think the report is that they he called Wayne Barnes a cheat. We called him no, an effing cheat, which it doesn't yeah, really yeah. matter. The effing is irrelevant. It's the cheat part that I think is. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. No. Look, it, it, those are those are uh, those are difficult calls. I actually thought Barnes refed a pretty good game. Um, I think that players rolled away. There was a lot of good things that happened. Um, yeah, Hartley lost his cool. I would tend to say that it was a little bit harsh, but, um, that's, but that's an American perspective on what is treated differently over there. Well, it ended up being a, uh, kind of a rough end to the season for, uh, Americans overseas, uh, Samu Manoa on the losing end for Northampton in the premiership final, Chris Wiles on the losing end to Northampton in the premiership semis week before, uh, and uh, Scott Lavala on the losing end in the Amlin Challenge Cup final last week for Stade Francais against Leinster. Uh, but we do see both Manoa and Taku Nguenya playing on the Barbarians. In fact, Nguenya played against England on the bar- uh, on the Barbarians side this past weekend. And they were on the losing end of that. And, yeah, big time. And... Uh... And, and apparently he missed four tackles. Right. He didn't. So, actually, he didn't. He didn't look too good. He didn't look uh, like, uh, um, you know. And, and that that's certainly a concern, as always is, you know, defensively. That, that game I didn't see, but I will say that while while you mentioned a bunch of things, uh, Lavala being on the losing end in the Amlin Cup, the he was a contributor on a team in an Amlin Cup final. Uh, um, Manoa and Wiles were contributors in the semifinal of the Premiership, and 
and Manoa was a starting contributor in the finals of the Premiership. So I think that in that sense, it's very good that there's America and, 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 and Taku was starting for the Barbarians against England in, in a real Premier game that they have. So in that sense, I would say that it's a good thing that our players are contributing and playing and getting quality minutes and quality game time in big games. Well, I, I definitely think so. so. That, I, that I think but was a, Manoa a starts at number eight in the premiership final, plays all 80 minutes, uh, you know, from a guy who, I mean, they'd been putting him in lock and they moved him to eight because of, of his ability with the ball in hand. And, and we're seeing these guys play, and start regularly, including Lavala for Stade Francais. He's he's going, he's playing at lock and flanker, uh, pretty much every week. Hey, I I rem I remember people laughing at Paul Keeler when they had Manoa at eight, and I I remember playing against him. I was like, man, this guy is very difficult to deal with if he gets the ball with a head of steam, and you know, so Keeler was using him at eight far before anyone else and he trusted him to use him there and he really and he's so far been proven correct excellent excellent well pat you were at the elite cup final over in glendale colorado and uh and how was that was you know it's an exciting game it was an awesome game i'm a little jealous that i haven't gotten to watch as much international stuff as you guys but uh no, the, the Elite Cup final was really good. Um, kind of exactly what you expected. Gate comes in and plays the way that they do, keeping the ball in hand, um, really challenging the defense to make their one-up tackles, and had a lot of success doing that. And then uh, uh, life, when they were crawling back into it and, and doing really well, it was because they were uh, being patient and forcing Gate into some uh, some penalties and, and pounding it to the corner and, and doing the technical things that you expected them to do. So it was a great final. Uh and uh, really exciting to watch. Came right down to the end, and I can't complain. And it was actually a pretty good crowd, a better crowd than I would have expected at Infinity Park um, for a neutral final where you got no, no team has any skin in the game. I know some of the Denver Barbarians were there scouting life for uh, the D1 finals next weekend, but uh, it was a pretty healthy crowd, I thought, for um, for some people just coming out to watch rugby that they're uh, people they're not related to uh, in the middle of the country. So it was uh, all in all, it was pretty sweet. Which is one thing that Glendale has continued to work at doing, putting on rugby events, and even if it's not their local team, people do come out to see. So, uh, um, no, that that's great. Well, we've got a lot of rugby for rugby fans to talk about, and we will be right back here on Rugga Matrix America. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. So we're back on Rugby Matrix America, and let's talk about the Eagles, first of all, because one of the internationals that went on this past weekend was the USA went up to Canada, went up to Edmonton to play Canada. And and this was supposed to be a non-cap game, and it was listed as a non-cap game for quite a while, but then the IRB changed their minds and decided that it should be a full rankings test because it's in the Pacific Nations Cup, it's for a trophy, and why would you have one game not be a rankings test? Even though it's not in the official test match window, they finally changed it. But it was uh, a... 
a, a weakened USA team. It was a relatively weakened Canada team. Their, the total number of caps for each team was about the same, but there was a, a huge disparity in experience when you looked at the bench. Uh, and um, it was cold. It was rainy. It wasn't a pretty game in a lot of ways. Uh, and Canada used the wind a little bit better in the first half. They kicked to the corner and, and basically their plan seemed to be to, uh, to kick to the corner, kick to touch, and then allow the USA to have a line out deep in their 22 and hope the Eagles would make a mistake. And, and to their credit, for the most part, the Eagles did not make mistakes, but they did make one. And, uh, uh, I, I, I hesitate to call it an overthrow. I don't want to pin it always on the hooker, but his line out, the ball was not caught. It went to the back. So either there was a slow lift or a poor lift or an overthrow or bad timing. Ball bouncing around. Robbie Shaw, a bit slow to get to it, a bit timid to get to it. And John Moonlight grabbed the bouncing ball and ran over the line. And that was the try. That was it. 16-9. Uh, three penalty goals to uh, each team. They, they Each team missed one penalty attempt. So, I mean, that, that was the game right there. And, and my own observations here is that, um, that there were, there were some positives in certain levels on the USA performance, but really it looked, it, it looked like a team that hadn't really gotten together for very long. And, you know, the, the, what they want to do is they want to make those little half breaks. And as the player's been taken to the ground, he pops up, offloads out of the tackle. And you've got a big guy. You've got someone like Todd Clever or, or Brian Doyle or Lou Stanfield, John Quill, all, any of those guys running off the back and taking the pass, the offload out of out of contact. Well, those offloads weren't made. And, and one of the things I've, I've really noticed in American rugby, when you see I – mean, we're going to talk about the CRC later, and, and, and it's the same thing. When you see sevens played, when you see players play in a big game with a big crowd or against uh, pressure defense that they're not quite used to, they're a split second too slow in getting those passes out. And because they're a split second – too slow those those very very rare opportunities die on the vine as it were and and so we saw those little offloads a couple of uh breaks by a few other players where they didn't pass early enough and as a result uh there was no pass made and the tackle was made uh and and in the end i think that was the difference i saw the eagles play more rugby but they weren't able to complete they weren't able to execute more rugby and canada was content for the most part to pressure the USA into making mistakes. The Eagles didn't make many mistakes, but they made enough. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to you watch the game and where the Eagles were able to, when they were looking really good and playing really well and put pressure on Canada was with ball in hand, playing the rugby, going through the phases. And when Canada looked really good, it was because of their territorial game and their kicking game. They didn't really do that well with ball in hand against the Eagles. And they got one more break than us, and we made one more mistake that they capitalized on, you know, instead of vice versa. Um, I think that you look at this game as opportunity lost if you're the Eagles because it, you could have had it. The first half was really poor for, for the USA. Once they put it together, and the second half they were able to, you know, really kind of um, control their own destiny. Um, but that first half they looked slow. They looked um, rusty. They looked a little bit like, you know, somebody needed to raise their hand and make a play. Um, 
Todd Clever raised his hand and made some plays. I thought um, uh, Luke Hume raised his hand and made a couple plays. But when we were playing really, really good this time last year or just in the last, you know, six games prior to this, there were guys all over the field raising their hands and making plays. And I think this time there was a little bit of timidness waiting for somebody else to do something, and, and, and nobody really made that dynamic break on their own until the second half when people started carrying the ball a little harder and, and, and we got a little more quick ball out. But, yeah, I think a slow start um, and, and one bad mistake is kind of the way I look at it. I don't think there's anything – you don't walk away from this saying, oh, crap, we're really in the dumps, or you don't walk away from this saying it's the most – you know, some heartening loss. It, it, it just – it was what it was, and, and I don't think it's any bigger than this one game. I think it's just been, then you know having a, having a new hooker and 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 playing in wet weather. I I think that they probably started slow because the players are sick and tired of playing in crap weather, and it's been horrible all season. I, I mean I don't know that for a one hundred percent fact. I certainly didn't talk to anybody after the game. I got a couple texts, but nothing nothing really, and. I think that they, as Alex was saying about the offloads, well, in wet weather it's a little bit difficult, and to be able to keep your feet going so you can get yourself through contact and free yourself to be able to <clears throat> make the pass and then have a guy who's there to time it. The Eagles, you know, they, I think that they need to get good at playing a wet weather game because um, they're going to be going to a World Cup in. Europe that's going to be wet weather in in a lot of in a lot of cases and then they're they're going to go over for their I know they're playing the Maori in November I believe in Philly but they're also going to go to overseas in November so they're going to have to get good at wet weather rugby and be very comfortable in doing it so but they have to take heart in this in this loss not that you want to lose any game I'm not saying that but Canada didn't really do anything to them it wasn't like the Canadians had any sustained pressure that gave them any any real problems. Uh, the U.S. has a significant amount of of weaponry coming back, which will then make their bench significantly stronger because some of these players will be on the bench. And I think that they're continuing to get better in key areas of the game, like uh, like um, scrums and. Uh, and lineouts, and, and you know, not, granted, they they lost the lineout to cause that try, but they they're getting better at executing on them. Well, and they're getting and 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 also, you know, they, while they're getting better in scrummaging, they they had a scrum five meters out with two minutes to go, and 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 it and they dropped it, and and those the little execution things are going to come. The fact of the matter is that the. The club system as it's set up is disruptive and disjointed and the players are showing up not ready to play and, you know, they don't, they're just not ready to play international rugby and they're not going to get ready in a week. And, and that's the it. And we can sit and, you know, try to put lipstick on a pig. But the fact of the matter is uh, USA rugby has to get its club system correct again and, they don't have it, and it doesn't seem like they have any intention of doing it. So the fact of the matter is the Eagles need time together so that they can be a battle-hardened unit and 
and a cohesive executing unit. And they, the, what's happening in club rugby is not preparing our guys for the rigors of an international season. The Eagles will get better as the summer wears on because they're going to, you know, well, that's just uh, yeah. a couple of things about that. The, you know, what, First of all, on the on the lineout, uh, you know Brian Doyle actually at the end of the first half made a terrific play to steal an attacking lineout from Canada, uh, possibly you know saving a scoring opportunity, uh, which I, I thought was a big play at the time. Uh, the infuriating thing about that scrum right under the posts with two minutes to go, that they muffed uh, a, a eight nine move to the right, was that exactly the same thing happened in the first half in exactly the same position and they muffed it just as bad. And that's what really frustrated me was not so much that they made a mistake, but they made exactly the same mistake twice. And it would seem to me that, you know, here it is two minutes to go. Sean clever get together and say, all right, we're not going to screw this up this time. And exactly the same thing happened. Uh, Shaw, I, I don't know exactly if Shaw was out of position or the pass went in the wrong place. I don't know what happened, but the ball ended up on the deck. And well, that, I can tell you, I can tell you one thing. Yeah. That when Manoa is at eight, the flanker and the nine can't be as aggressive going yeah. after after Shaw. So they can't put him under as much pressure because if they step the wrong way, Manoa's in under the sticks. Well, that's so, – you know what? Why, why not just pick, had, why not just pick and go with Clever? Why not just have Clever pick up and run? I, I, I'm not. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk I'm about the tactics of it. I, I, I they could. Sorry, they could have him pick up and run. They could do anything, and and they chose to do what they did. And I'm sure that it's worked 50 ways to Sunday. But the um, the thing that they can't do when Manoa's there is that Clever is going to be coming from the blind, or he might be on the open, and and Laval is coming from the blind. There's just so many things that can go on with a back row of Clever, Lavala, and and Manoa, that it makes it virtually impossible for a team to be as aggressive as Canada was. Well, don't forget, Canada's got Jamie Cudmore coming back, who is a regular starter on maybe the best team in Europe. He's pretty good, too. It's not like Canada was full metal jacket and the Eagles weren't, and that's why this happened. No, that's no, that's correct. But the it is is the bump up for the USA, meaning partly that the second tier for the USA isn't quite good. Is the bump up for the USA that that much more? I think uh, I, hey, look, I would argue, Jamie, yeah. But Jamie Cudmore is a good player, and Canada definitely does have good players coming back, and Pritchard and Cudmore and whoever else they have. Van der Merva, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge buyer on Van der Merva. Yeah. He's no different than our guys, but he he's a good player, but he's no different than our guys. Um, but what I would say is that, hey, if the game is played in nice weather, which the the qualifiers probably will be, advantage USA. If your idea of nice weather is uh, so humid, you're swimming in your own sweat. Yeah, right? well, I, I think I'm, I'm just, I think that favors the USA too. Well, <laughs> I, think, I think a rainforest favors the Eagles. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't I don't think that that I I don't think that that kind of weather favors anybody. Uh, you know, you don't want to play in oppressive heat. They are playing that game at night um, in Charleston. Not that that's it's, – it's not at night in an air-conditioned stadium for sure, but it's at night. So, look, whatever happens, happens. 
I think that there's a lot of rugby to be played. There's a lot of things. Both teams are going to have to manage their players. They're going to have to manage their injuries. They're going to have to use the Pacific Cup to really try to figure out what their combination is going forward that's best. And while they want to win every game, and I'm sure they do, the the number one thing is to get yourself primed and ready to win your qualifier matches. Because that's what it all comes down to. And the entire summer, the U.S. can lose every single game and win their qualifier matches successful summer. The U.S. can win every game going forward, lose their qualifier matches, and it's a disappointing summer. Is is not, that that not sounds the, sorry? That sounds like a turnaround from 2011 when Bruce, you were angry that Eddie O'Sullivan was looking at basically almost tanking games to prepare. Ah, there's a difference between tanking games and managing your players. I I don't believe in giving caps away for free. If you know a guy's not ready, like if a guy doesn't belong in camp, he should go home immediately. Like if a guy shows up, he's unfit, send them home. If a guy shows up and he didn't do what he said he was going to do or said he was doing, send them home. I have no problem with any of that. You don't owe anyone anything. It's an honor and a privilege to play for your country. And what I'm saying is they have to manage, are you going to play the Fiji game, full metal jacket, when you know that Samuel Manoa is carrying a groin injury? Is it worth that to risk them for the Canada game? I don't. I'm, I'm, that's a hypothetical. I don't right, know. Right. Right. No, no, that makes sense. So is it okay. is it worth having? That's what I mean by managing your players. I don't mean it by give everybody a look and check it out. You you find out your best combinations in practice. If you're not finding out your best combinations in practice, you're not practicing right. And 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 that's the way. At least that's the way I feel about it. You know. And and I think that they know what they want to do, and you could tell it. it When you go, no matter what level of rugby you're looking at, when you go to practice, you know who the first team is and you know who the second team is. As much as you know it in a Division I or II team, when you can see it on the practice field, in an international team, you could see it on the practice field just as well. The disparity is that big. It really is. In general, it's really big. And that, and even at the top level, like Simon Harder used to send me video of England practicing prior to the World Cup, you knew who was starting and why they were starting. There was no problem understanding that. You know, they, it was the, uh, the best okay. players well, were all right. so, so much so, better. And, and as we're talking about, there is an upgrade on this team. If if you know, we have a few players coming in, we've got Chris Wiles coming in at fullback. Adam Siddle, well, he was tested a lot. He didn't do an awful lot as a fullback. Uh, trying to manage the opposition kicking game. Uh, you know, we, we have Takun Gwenya coming in. You mentioned uh, defensive issues on uh, the Barbarians, but uh, in terms of his attacking ability, uh, he, he makes people sit up and take notice. Um, you know, if Nguyenia comes in, then maybe James Patterson moves. You know, I'd like to see him move into the midfield, frankly. Uh, then, of course, Scott Lavala, Samu Manoa, uh, coming in to augment that forward pack, and what you've got there is uh, a really outstanding back five 
on the Eagle forwards. And then Chris Biller was injured. We'll see what happens there. We see what happens with the, the scrum halves, Mike Petrie, Sean Davies coming back. We have, There's a lot of players to work with. There's, there's a combination to work with. But if you look at the, the, the top players uh, coming into this squad, there is an upgrade. I mean, there's a massive upgrade. There's a massive upgrade in terms of fitness, presence, physicality, experience, um, danger factor, X factor, whatever you want to call it. And in in adding all that to the equation, there's going to be a massive upgrade in confidence. So I look at it as, hey, obviously no one wants to lose a game. They lost the game. But they have to take solace in the fact that Canada didn't do anything to them that threatened them outside of kick the ball. They, they basically kicked in hope sent their B defender offside and their C defender, that's the third guy and fourth guy, they sent them offside and rushed them out and they late hit a few guys. And and that's <laughs> that, that was know, thank that's you. their game plan. They late, hit, they late hit a lot of guys. Hey, look, I played against Ontario. That's exactly what happened to us. Wait, we got late hit all game. Back to what you're talking about, the upgrade in the back row, I mean, that's huge. Uh, you uh, Peter Dawes and Quill are good players. They're yeomen, they're you know, they do what they do, but they don't really give you any threat offensively. Um, whereas, obviously, both Scott and Sam do. I want to – do you guys think that back row is better than a Dave Hodges, Dan Lyle back row? I think it's not quite – it's premature because we haven't seen them play. So let's see them play together. But it has the potential to be one of the best back rows USA has had. and We've had a lot of good ones. Uh, and I, and I think that going back to you know the late hits and the and the the extra stuff that happens in professional rugby, uh, you know, it, it, playing in the, the the French top fourteen is not, you know, you're not going to be successful playing in the French top fourteen if you get rattled from a couple of late hits and a couple of uh, you know ear twists and various things like that. So Lavala can not doesn't have much hair to get pulled either. No, so. that well, that, he doesn't. That, that's exactly right. Um, and Manoa can handle himself, and I think there's a there's a, a composure element to it that uh, will really help the team as well. And and in addition, on the lineout, Scott Lavala is the guy who calls the signals in the lineout. That's his job. So when he's not there, they have another player doing it. Um, but 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 that's becomes Lavala's thing. So I I well, think that has an effect. His absence has an effect right there. The, the reality is, if you have a if you have a back row of if you have a back row of Manoa, Clever, and Lavala, and a second row of Doyle and Stanfill, and <clears> then <throat> you have and I'll just say Pittman and Fry. Essentially, all seven guys in the lineout have experience as a jumper. You could cap the lineout with Pittman and Fry, who were both former back row players, and. You have five jumpers in the middle. So it, it becomes so much easier to call the line out because you you have five legitimate jumpers. And if you really took the time, you'd have seven. <laughs> so it, it just makes you that much more dangerous in anything you do. So, yeah, that the line out being an attacking platform that we could use, you got to use it a little better. And then... 
if we can scrummage and use that as an attacking platform. And I, th- and I think that we really, <clears throat> we really can with Samuel Manoa. And, and then if, if back row start to really stay home and, and, and try to deal with Samu, then, then I think that we can free up a little bit of space to penetrate the midfield. The, what, what is happening with the players who are coming back is that they give us more balance and attack. They give us more options and more weapons that defenses have to have to respect. And in doing that, if a defense has to respect the weapon, they tend to slow down and they tend to come up waiting to respect the weapon, which gives us the ability to penetrate those game lines and penetrate those areas. So it and then it's a gamble. If a team comes flying up and tries to take everything out of the way and we get around them, Taco Nguyen is under the sticks. So we those weapons that we're bringing back are massive because they provide possession and they provide speed and they provide power. And with Wiles, it provides skill and it provides comfort and security. So we really have a lot coming back, whereas Cudmore provides power and hardness and experience, but so does Lavala and so does Manoa. So, you know, I take, if you had to give me a Jamie Cudmore or a Lavala and Manoa, they can keep Cudmore. I'll keep the two of them. You know what I'm saying? If I had a choice to make between one Cudmore and and Lavala and Manoa, I'm taking Lavala and Manoa. That's just me. That's just me. Now, others may say you're out of your mind, but that's that's how I feel. Well, we've got the Eagles getting getting back into camp. They'll be uh, they're all assembling in Glendale for uh, close to two weeks. Then they'll be going down to BBVA Compass Stadium in Houston to take on Ireland. We, we will see Nguenya and Manoa join the team uh, for the week leading up to that. And then uh, the Friday following that, June 14th, they will be playing at the Home Depot Center against Tonga back in the Pacific Nations Cup. And then it'll be out to Japan to finish up the Pacific Nations Cup with a game against Japan and against Fiji. They're still in it. You never know how that's going to work out. Tonga's looking very good right now, but the USA did get a close loss bonus point in that loss to Canada. And then they'll take the rest, the last few days of June and then the rest of July off and then get it back at it in August, two games against Canada for the World Cup qualifiers. Do either of you think we're going to go into the qualifiers anything other than 0-4 in the summer? Oh, yeah. I think, I, I, I think that I think that will uh, I think it's going to be a tall going to be a tall order to beat Ireland. I actually think the Irish team that they picked is really good, and and it actually um, will be a struggle for us to match up well against it. Um, however, it's a great great test for us to find out who's who and who's a man. So that that Ireland game is is big as a. Um, as a barometer of where we're at, I think we're going to beat. I think we're going to beat Tonga. I think we're going to beat Japan. And I think we're going to beat Fiji. I see no reason why we can't beat all three of them. I, yeah. I would expect them to come back three and two. I, I, I would. Would, have I would go. Them to win I would go this weekend if the weather was nice. Yeah, I would go. I would have thought them four and one. I, I would think that they 
they can beat all three of those. I'm not sure I'm going to see them actually beat all three of those, but I think they can. I, I think that – I think that, But we sorry. will be underdogs in every single one. I mean, you're picking I, I, an upset in all of them. Being an underdog doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't win. Under Underdogs are just – that's just what other people think. They're certainly not a great underdog. It's it's in they're even matches, and I think that as they spend time together and they gel as a team, as as I said earlier, and we had spoken about earlier, these are American players who are getting significant minutes in important competitions, and that hasn't happened really since Lyle and Hodges, and you know to some extent Schubert. Um, when he was with Cardiff and that's it. You know, that that's, and, that's an interesting thing real quick about court Schubert court Schubert played w- w- was, was given sort of a nickname while he was at Cardiff. He's called Mr. hundred percent. And he played, you know, regularly for them for an entire season. And then that was it. He was sent home. You know, they didn't need him anymore or they couldn't, you know, keep him because of the their foreigner limit, and that's the problem for Americans playing overseas. The fact is, we've got guys like I mean, Lyle was a long-term player for Bath, uh, started in '96 and left them in 2003, and uh, Dave Hodges was '97 uh, to 2004 with one year at a different club for, uh, but he played for Stillanetley. Um and we're seeing Manoa, I think, is set for long-term in Northampton. I think Wiles has been long-term at Saracens. Uh, Nguenya has been at Biarritz for what now? Six years? And uh, and Lavala has got a long-term contract there. So that's what is also great about it is they're not doing what you know poor Lou Stanfield has to do, which is look around saying, boy, I hope I hook up with someone else this year. So that's that's very heartening. I'm with you. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm just saying that the, the reason this game to me, why it's such a lost opportunity is because if you get a win here, you've gotten a win instead of being five games into your tour, still looking for that first win, which I think is a possibility, a real possibility. Um, I think that I'm, I'm with you guys. I think they can beat every single team they're playing this summer, including Ireland. I think they can beat Ireland and Houston, um, but uh, they can also lose to every team. Um, so that, that's the only reason I ask that because you wonder what being Owen, you know, Owen four going into those world cup qualifiers, how the morale would be after a long tour or a long time together these last couple of months, just what that would do to the team psyche is all. Pat, can I, can I jump in on that? I, I that's a really great point you made is that that's what players play for. I think the fact that they're, they have five games that they can win and they can lose. And that's, that's a huge thing. These guys live for that. That's all they ever, all they want to do is play in games that they can win and can lose. That's all you ask for. As long as they're practicing hard and preparing hard and their approach is sensible and their approach is proper. And by approach, I mean that they're taking performance goals and they're measuring their key performance indicators and things like that, not getting too um, bad stuff over the results, then I think that they'll be in a good shape. And I, and that's what, and that's why I think that the preparation leading into this isn't 
ideal for our guys because there's not enough games where a team can lose and can win. And they don't have to have a day in and day out 100% you know, approach of they have to practice with an accuracy and precision mentality. They have to take everything very seriously, and they have to do it day and day and day and day and day. And that's what I mean by the fact that they're not prepared. No, it's not that the guys aren't hard workers or things like that. It's just that you can get away with different things at club level at our in in our uh, in our competitions. And I'm not saying that hey, if every game is like the life San Francisco game, great. If every game is like the San Francisco Puget Sound game or the first two Life AC games, great. But they're not. And that's the problem. You know, it I, needs to be I, more often I, so that the guys have a, have a battle-hardened mentality, meaning that their mentality is they have to go to practice, they have to work hard, they have to lift, they have to do their skill work, they have to do their prehab, they have to take care of their bodies, and they do it. It's just a second-nature thing. It's not for everybody. And it shows at critical spots. It shows. You're absolutely right. And it, 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 I, I don't think there's any argument. And, and it goes down to almost every level of the game, uh, you know, down to college, down to high school. How many hard games? And like you said, a game that you could win or you could lose. You might win by you know as many as ten, or you might lose as many as ten. But it's a great hard game. Very very few. Uh, and we report on so many games. You know, we we have we have teams call us and say, you know, why aren't you really talking about us? Said because you keep winning all your games by eighty points. What is there to say? Who are you? I do think it's telling that uh, every single member of the USA backline this past weekend uh, learned his rugby outside the United States. And and I think that's kind of a shame, really, that we had everybody um do that you know james patterson you can argue because he, he played for the usa under 19s he was a captain of the usa under 19s uh every single one of those guys learn their rugby elsewhere and we do have players that we're developing in the united states but the other question is how many games have they played that they could win or they could lose and yeah, is but- that part of the reason why we don't have those guys um, you know, breaking into the Eagles. But that all said, and, and, and we can go through that back line, all of those guys made tremendous improvements inside the United States. Every last one of them. Toby Lestrange did not arrive here to Toby Lestrange that he is. True. Troy Hall did not arrive here to Troy Hall that he is. Andrew Suniula did not arrive here the Andrew Suniula that he is. Luke Hume arrived here a rugby league player and was not – the Luke Hume that he is now. Uh, Adam Patterson, Shaw, sure. I, I think Patterson, 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 and Shaw, for sure, would would be guys that didn't necessarily get their well, rugby I, I, here. I, I, and, I, then, I, and then and and Adam Siddall. Let no, can, let me because I you misunderstand me. I, I I would put Patterson in with that group with Lestrange and Hall. That because because he was Patterson has been here for a while. He was playing and, age grade rugby in the United States system. Yeah. So. And, and it's just it's just to say that like I get what I get what you're saying, and it and it definitely makes sense. But the fact the fact is that the guys also have made dramatic improvements in 
their time in America. All right. I, mean, you know, I, I, th- I think I think that's no, that's that's legitimate. There's been value in both of them. Yeah. Hey, we were we were blessed as Americans that they got uh, pre-training overseas and experience, but they were also blessed because America gave them a chance that they never would have had anywhere else, and they were able to blossom. They didn't come here confident. Oh my God, second coming of Christ players. They came here people who had not broken out of their shell yet and American rugby allowed them to do that. And, and that's the case with Wiles. That's the case with, uh, Nguyenia. That's the case with Samu Manoa. Uh, Scott Lavala is, went overseas and played overseas and broke out of his shell overseas, but with an overseas coach that coached in Seattle for 10 years. So, you know, a lot of you almost can consider Trinity an an, an 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 American program in Ireland. So, you look at when when you look at things that way. You know, we've also given a lot too. We've gotten a lot, but we've given a lot. I, and and I and I would defend that. Not 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 for not in every single case. I mean, I've you know Tommy Kulikin has gotten. The AC has not made him a, a damn bit better, <laughs> and he's played like a game and a half or two games for us. So it's not, you know, like, so that's, I'm not saying that in, in, in the case of that. And there's a, like, you know, John Quill, Boston gave him an opportunity. How much better they made him, I don't know. Liam Murphy got better playing at Boston. He did. And, you know, that, but you look at those things and I say, hey, that's, yeah, maybe we're just making too much of it. I'll stop. Um, it, it for me, it's something to look at. It's something to watch because it it actually goes in cycles. Sometimes you look at the the team and and you know two thirds of it played high school rugby, but generally what we see in the U.S. national team is that the forwards are the vast majority are U.S. born and U.S. developed, and the backs. It can, you know, if it's 50-50, we're pretty excited about it. Uh, well, if you, if you take, I want to go, I want to just go back in the, in the one thing. Is it what is coming back for the United States? And they say that the spine of the team is what wins the games. The people who are coming back for the United States are our hooker, possibly our eight, Petri our nine, Will Holder, Toby, who, Toby is the 10, and Wiles is the 15. Then you got your speed man, your line out man. So many critical parts are coming back yeah. that it it's the spine of the team, the main threat, and the line out caller. And probably the forward captain, although clever, is the captain. It's a lot to come back, man. That's a lot. Yeah, it's true. So it's an exciting thing moving forward but we've beaten this to death i think we can do a pre-ireland thing we, we've beaten this to death i think yeah, we move yeah. on we'll be right back and we will be talking about the elite cup and the crc when we return on rugga matrix america hey everybody alex goff here just to remind you that you can subscribe to rugby magazine on your tablet just about every format you can imagine you can get Rugby Magazine on your iPad, on your Android, on your Reader, on your Kindle. So check out the App Store 
on your device or get information on RugbyMag.com and subscribe to Rugby Magazine for your tablet. We're back on Rugby Matrix America. And before we get into the Elite Cup Final, and it's in, the interesting thing about the Elite Cup Final, in fact, was that it was the second step in uh, Life University's amazing run where they were looking to win uh, four national championships in the space of three weekends. So they won the D1A final, which we'll talk about briefly. Then they lost a close game in the Elite Cup final. And you know, I realize this is two programs, but it's still kind of amazing because it's the same group of people uh, getting this put together. And then this coming weekend, they play in the CRC and they play in the National Men's Club finals same weekend. Uh, they could... They could have come out of that with four championships in three weekends. They didn't get the Elite Cup final, but the D1A final, they did win that, 16-14 to 14 against St. Mary's. It was an exciting game. Uh, what was amazing about it, apart from the fact that life got a try that wasn't a try and shouldn't have been called a try, uh, what was amazing about that is when was the last time, or how often do you see either of those teams held to such a low score? St. Mary's scored, what, 31 against Cal, didn't they? 29 against Cal. Um, they, we, don't, we don't see those, those types of offenses get shut down the way they did. So what was great about it was, was how tough that defense was. Yeah, you wonder how much the, the weather had to do with St. Mary's. I mean, they looked like they could have been running away with it when it was bright and sunny and dry outside. And then um, I'm not saying that they would have run away with it. I'm sure life would have come back and still put up a, a better fight in the second half, but they weren't able to play with the same width, um, with the same speed that they were doing in the first half. So I think that's part of it for St. Mary's, um, and I'm sure that there's some of their guys who uh, would say, oh, if it was dry the whole time, we'd have won by two or three tries. I don't know if that's the case, but I think that's part of it. And, and you know, life, life, as good as they are, they, they kind of – I mean, you have Cam Dolan who – is a good player and everybody in the country would be happy to have him on the wing, but he's not a natural wing. And so that is kind of a weird spot for him to attack from on the other wing. They had a freshman and Tyrus Bay tops. And I don't know that their midfield is as awesome an attack as it has been the last couple of years when you've had Colton Carriaga in the midfield, where now is Colton Carriaga's your fly half. So he's carrying the ball less than he used to. So I think life this year was probably less of a offensive power than they had been last year, just based on where some of their personnel was on the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was a, it was a great game to watch and um, it, it was, I think good for college rugby, the way that it, it, it panned out and um, you know, congrats to life. But that, yeah, like you said, that try with Cali was not a try and uh, you got to, your heart's got to, you know, bleed a little bit for the same Aries crew. Well, they, you know, it, it wouldn't have just completely negated it. You know, it had they had they called it correctly, it would have been a line out five meters from the St. Mary's line. Who knows what could have happened? Uh, life could certainly have easily the next play stolen the line out and rolled over and scored, or they could have just continued to pressure St. Mary's and, uh, you know, f- four or five minutes later scored from that run. So you can't say. St. Mary's wins if that's called correctly, but you want to see it called correctly, and it was actually a bad miss. Yeah, that end, I mean, you, you could point to a lot of different things, kind of like you do in the NCAA tournament. Every single year, uh, somebody is a fan of some team is like, well, if we wouldn't have missed that three-point shot in the Sweet 16, we would have won. But by the time the Final Four is over, nobody remembers. 
I mean, Arkansas State was playing without two of its best players and Dean Garicki and Zinzi and Alan Puttick in the semifinal against life. If those two guys were healthy, could they have won? Potentially. I mean, it just all those things, and that's what makes it great, is that the parity is so close that just one thing, one way or the other, kind of um, tilted the competition one way or the other, which is kind of what you you want and what you ask for. It is kind of close. The um, You know, we were talking about who might be number one after the D1A final and the idea that if life had blown out St. Mary's, given that St. Mary's had lost to Cal competitively, were leading at halftime, but had lost to Cal, and Cal had lost a real close game on the last-minute drop goal uh, to BYU, uh, if life had blown out St. Mary's, you could have argued that life would be number one, even though they'd already lo- they'd lost a game this season to, to Arkansas State. As it is, you look at those scores, just look at the scores, and you say St. Mary's is a little bit below Cal. Cal and BYU are essentially even. Life is a little bit above St. Mary's, and uh, life in Arkansas State were one and one in their series. So I suppose you, you, you put St. Mary's at the fifth of those, but really not that far. If you well, if point values, did, you're talking right, maybe we did put them fifth, But if that Joe Cowley try is called correctly, maybe they're all the way up to third. So that's, Yeah, we're arguing to something entirely different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, that's it, a college so, football argument. Yeah, that's true. Well, the upshot is that uh, Life University won the D1A, then they turn around as a different group of players, but it's the same, essentially the same coaching staff with a couple of changes, turning around and playing in the Elite Cup final at Infinity Park. Uh, and, and we already talked about it, Pat, that you were there. It was, good, it was a good game, and it was a good event. Uh, you know, I don't know what, a couple of thousand people there at the game, maybe 1,500. It was a nice crowd. Yeah. Um, in the end, uh, San Francisco Golden Gate wins it, uh, and they win it despite the fact that they've actually been through this season with very, very few challenging games. They've managed to raise their game on the tough games, uh, on the few tough matchups they've had. They've managed to be able to do that. What do you think was the difference between life and Golden Gate in the final? I mean, that's tough to say. I would say that at the end of the day, Golden Gate had more dynamic runners than Life did. Um, the guys, I mean, Life didn't have very many line breakers in the game at all, and Gate did. And I think that that um, kind of was able, allowed Gate to dictate um, possession and territory in the first half, and Gate got a nice lead, and it took an awful lot out of Life to climb back and negate that lead and, and get their own lead. And um, and Gate just was able to make a few more plays at the end of the game. And maybe the X factor, maybe the experience of the. I mean, those Gate guys have been playing together for a long freaking time, um, and they've been in championship games for a long time and been on the right end of those championship games, you know, numerous times. So I think you, you look at that and and just kind of their pa- their patience and um, their knowing that the game's not over and that they still have a chance to win. And I think that the X factor might be just their experience together as a group because life had their chances at the very end to score. I mean, they were down in the attacking end and, um, you know, they had some subs in that um, didn't do as well as some of gate subs at the end of the game. 
But uh, it's, it, it, I mean, it's a, two of Gates' tries were very marginal in terms of whether they were a forward pass. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it was it was a really really great game to see to watch and to to see. But um, there was really not much between the two teams. But to see such contrasting styles was really fun. Um, the way that they um, they played and to see this is my first time really watching. Um, Edge McGinty play, um, of course, a personal, and I was extremely impressed by that guy. He made holes out of holes that weren't there, um, or that were barely there, and he was able to squeeze through them. He played fantastic. Um, so, and I know Bruce has been talking about how good he is for you know last year and this year, and he's right. I got visions of Ronan O'Gara watching that guy play, he was, he was fun to watch. You know, actually, all these—if you—if you combine this elite cup into the Super League, which you probably should—all these championship games are close. Last year's uh, 2012 uh, New York Athletic Club wins right at pretty much right at the end of the game, it puts it away at the end of the game, and and it was a close game between uh, Life and and Golden Gate the year before, and it was a close game between Golden Gate and, and AC the year before that. Um, which is which you know Life some Golden Gate the year before that yeah yeah <laughs> Bel- it was Belmont and AC the year before that yeah exactly then it, and then um then you go back to 2008 there's the overtime uh, game 2008 was us yeah that was yeah, like overtime. that was Belmont and and then um Belmont and, and and AC then there was then there was Belmont and uh I want to say it was Belmont and Chicago that's right I'm back in I'm back in Belmont was on the last play of the game Belmont and Chicago was um, was it, it was, a, was a competitive game. I wouldn't say it was super tight, but it was uh, fairly competitive. And, and in yeah. 2005, AC beat Belmont by four points. And the AC won four of their championships by a total of 13 points, having to go through three overtimes. Yep. So And 2004, you know, that, that was – I think that was 24-21, I want to say. 2004, yeah, that was when uh, Belmont beat Golden Gate up in Rhode Island, yeah. No, it was, it was – so for the past ten years, there's been nothing in those games. The the it's true though. The, they've all been really great games, and it's and when they've been on television or where they've been webcast nicely, uh, or if they've been in a good venue, you're just so excited about it. 2008, it was on television, and it was at Infinity Park, and it was it that was, was the perfect. First, first rugby game I ever watched on TV. I was sitting at a friend's oh, yeah? birthday party, and that pops up, and I didn't move until the game was over, and it was a great game you to watch. That- you know that 950,000 people watched that game and it was on ESPN Classic Live? Yeah. That was it that. was a, that's that, it had a higher Nielsen rating than the NFL than the NHL playoffs that day. Nice. Yeah. What happened? But but we somehow haven't been able to get that momentum going and it's a crime because there are so many good games. In the end, you know, last year's Super League final uh, held um, at Old Puget Sound, which is a, a nice rugby field, but not a championship venue, you know, w- with with bleachers and things like that. And it was webcast, and that was all right. But it's like, you know, you you, you find yourself going backwards. This this championship game should be in a stadium every single time, and it should be broadcast either high end web. Or on television every single time because it's a great game every single time. They they did a good job webcasting it this time. Yeah, they did. Uh, I mean Glendale Glendale's professional at it. It should just host the championship every time. 
Now, I would add the, the Gatecocks were pretty upset the, the money it cost them to get there, but um, <laughs> who was upset? The, the the gate a couple of the guys from the gate um but it, it, I, I, I i'm not positive about this and you know don't don't quote me on it but i think i think usa rugby gave each team five or ten grand to get there i think five so, grand is what they gave them as well so if they, look if you got five grand to get to the game it costs say it costs they'll just say four hundred dollars a ticket 400 times 30 guys i'm just saying 30 you know that's 12 grand Plus, you know, a grand to fifteen hundred for your hotel rooms. Look, so it costs you seventy five hundred to go to the championship. What, hey, there's a lot of teams paid a hell of a lot more than that. I'm sure. I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying. It, you know what? If if you sometimes you got to pay seventy five hundred to go to the championship to get on TV and do whatever. It's going to be put on TV later, and on. Unfortunately, it wasn't live, but it was a really good webcast, and and there's. There's value in being on TV. As Bear Bryant said, if I'm playing on TV, I'll play at two in the morning. And and that's and that's the way you gotta look at it. Well, I think that it's different than what you're talking about in the old days, but the, a lot of people give I don't know why they overlook Glendale for different for whatever reason, where they talk crap on Glendale because of they think they're this arrogant club. Whatever it is, this is you know, the only rugby dedicated stadium in the United States that's willing to lose a buck on something like uh, women's, co- like, you know, on some of the ancillary events that they run, okay, they're willing to lose a buck and really put forth a professional effort. Why more things aren't just held at Glendale because it makes sense is beyond me. Because it makes an awful lot well, of sense. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because, first of all, there's always a backlash toward any organization that puts money and therefore resources behind something. And then the, the, the other reason is that people get upset that why do we have to play there? Why is it always there? Why don't we get a shot? We've got a nice stadium here. We've got a nice place here. And, and as a result, we reinvent the wheel every single time. And I've, I've, I've seen what people say in the bids that they send to host something, and they'll make it sound great. And they won't tell you that there's also some kind of unicycle festival that is the must the must-see event of the social calendar. That's also on the same weekend, and there won't be any hotels, or you won't be able to fly in, or you have to take a connection, or there's no internet connection, so I'm sorry, we said there was going to be webcast live. It's not going to be webcast live. Those things happen all the time because what their people are pushing for is, why can't I get mine? And it's wrong. It's completely wrong. And why, why can't we assign, why can't we pick um, and we're going to talk about the CRC in a second. But why, why can't why can't we pick a venue for a certain championship and say at least for five years this is it? Do you think USA Sevens keeps looking around to change the CRC? They want it to be in the same place for a long period of time and develop a fan base, and that's why it's in Philadelphia again. They're not well, looking around saying, can, can we put it in Virginia Beach next time? You mentioned uh, the unicyclist convention. I've never seen more spandex-covered bulges than I did at the CRC. <laughs> exactly. Because there was some kind of cycling. There's a, there's a huge cycling thing. It's not on this time, actually. They're not doing it this time. But it 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 is. And and that was a problem with the CRC the first year was that it was on the same weekend as this massive golf tournament that we were told later 
Uh, oh, by the way, all anybody cares about in, in town is the golf tournament that year, that weekend. Nobody cares about anything else. Well, you could have told us about that. But yeah. I, I think that I think that that's the responsibility of USA Rugby. And to sit and say that they don't have any employees who that who that's their primary responsibility would be wrong. I mean, there's a lot of employees there, and events. Not a lot of championships. Not speed. a lot of time and effort is spent on high performance development. So, that, those those people must be doing something, and that's got to be it. You know what they're doing because is they're they're trying to put the Final Four at Bowling Green, even though Bowling Green only applied to have the Sweet Sixteen, and they haven't passed whether or not Bowling Green wants to even or can host the Final Four. So that's what they're doing. So you're not going to get any argument from I don't think me or Alex on. Yeah, chopping the ball in Boulder, but why the D1A final couldn't have been played in in Glendale? Why the College Sevens championships? Well, those can't because it's out of season. I guess possibly you got snow problems in Glendale, but why? You know, ninety five percent of their big events can't be played in Glendale is beyond me. Because, and I don't know the, the specifics, but what you hear is they get a pretty sweet lease deal there um, from the folks at Infinity Park too. So Infinity Park is not in interested in making a ton of money from USA Rugby, you know, USA Rugby fees, right? Use fees. That they, they want to sell some concessions and sell tickets, stuff like that. But And look not- at, I mean, just, I, look, I'm sitting here at the Hampton Inn right next to the stadium. Every time I come to Glendale, I stay at the Hampton Inn. I mean, we dropped $1,000. Pro- I'm here for 10 days, okay? So the amount of people that stay in the area is having a real economic impact on Glendale, which is great, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they'll bend over backwards for USA Rugby, or you would think that they probably would. And this is just, I mean, maybe I'm d- jumping into a deeper end of a pool that we don't need to talk about right now, but maybe if USA Rugby cooperated a little bit better with some of these independent rugby entities like Rugby Town USA and USA Sevens and their holdings, uh, instead of quarreling with them over trying to create competing events or competing interests, then uh, maybe we could see a lot more growth. That's funny because I, j- I just wrote that column saying exactly that. I just wrote a column doing that today. Good morning, Mr. Pat. Would you like the Oya Can Eat Buffet again? And after you get back to the bar, <laughs> would you like us to have a room service hamburger delivered right to your door? That's my with only beef. An, an extra two oh, Budweiser's for a nightcap. There is no bar at the Hampton Inn, and I'm going to end up watching the NBA playoffs at Chili's tonight. Just because I don't know of any other place in walking distance, and that's kind of no. The and then you have to go shop at Whole Foods next to it. Yeah, um, I did that. yeah. But you know, you know what? The, the, it doesn't even just have to be Infinity Park. It could be three or four or five different places, it, and it, you it, could it, identify a, and say this it, is the home of that, and this is the it, home of that. And bottom line is, there's nothing compared to Infinity Park. No, it's a natural grass facility in a place that essentially doesn't rain that often. There's nothing compares to it, and they go on TV. So that all said, that last thing I just said, the TV, 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 makes all the difference. The rest of it is irrelevant. TV is everything. That funnels into the last thing we need to talk about, which is the USA 7 CRC, which is having happening this weekend at PPL Park in Philadelphia, in Chester, Pennsylvania, right outside Philadelphia, um, which is going to be on television. It's going Beautiful to be on Chester. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Chester, Pennsylvania, um, which is going to be on NBC and on NBC Sports Network. It is uh, a 
a great event for a lot of reasons. I uh, get about uh, you know sixteen to seventeen thousand people coming in over the weekend. You get uh, the general population of sports fans to learn about what sevens rugby is and to see it, to see the college games, to see real student athletes playing. Um, now, now, what's the what's the issue with this tournament? And remember, you know, USA Sevens owns that tournament, also owns Rugby Magazine. Um, you know, Rugby Magazine produces the event program for the CRC. So, you know, we're not separate from them. But what's the issue with this tournament is, you know, for the general rugby fan, they know that some of the teams that are there are not the best college seven teams, sevens teams that could be playing there. They're, those teams are selected because either they bring fans to the game because they're they're local or they have a, a, a national fan following or they bring a recognition for the general sports fan so and that is the belief of those who organize the, the, the tournament that that will bring more people to watch the game so you you get a team like say UCLA they're probably not going to bring a lot of fans to the game they'll bring a few but what they bring is the fact hey, everybody's heard of UCLA UCLA is actually a pretty good college sevens team that's not a problem. Uh, you get someone like Kutztown University, not well known really nationally as a sports entity, a sports college. But they have a terrific sevens team and they're local, so they're going to bring a lot of fans. So th those are some of the decisions that are being made along those lines. Um, but there are some teams that are, you know, they're going to have a tough time. Um, Quick reminder, if you didn't notice it on RugbyMag.com, the Army team, West Point, not going to be there. They've had to pull out their disciplinary problems, which we won't get into, um, but they're, they've had to pull out, and they've been replaced by Villanova. So, Pat and Bruce, I know exactly where you stand on this, although you feel free to, to, to voice you know, what you feel about it. I know, it's, Bruce, you've been saying for years that you're, you think that the model for the tournament is wrong and that you've been saying that they should be bringing in just the best teams and let the rugby sell it. And, and Pat, you've argued on one side of it. And I think you're sort of pushing over to more toward Bruce's viewpoint. If I'm not I, mistaken, I think there's room for both. I think that you can have, you know, Florida's never going to win the CRC, but they're not bad, right? They're, they're a pretty decent team. They won the Challenge Cup last year. That's fine. Texas is never, ever going to win the CRC. They're in it because they're Texas, and they've managed to squeak into the Cup quarterfinals twice. That's fine. So those teams are in it because of their big-name brands, and I've got no problem with that. Um, you know, if Arizona didn't, you know, if they weren't able to give them special eligibility rules to where they were able to bring in guys like Brett Thompson and Peter Tiberio when they haven't been on campus all year, then they wouldn't have been very good last year or this year. And um, But they would be getting in on their merit of being a big-name school, and that's fine. The Where I have a problem are some of the teams like, oh, I mean, Wisconsin won their way in, but even Pitt State or, um, you know, Notre Dame or some of these other teams that – don't put out a good product. My, my big argument is I'll give you your big name brand, but if your big name brand is full of guys that couldn't make my beer league softball team, 
you're not going to turn anybody into a rugby fan by letting them watch it. Whether they're a Notre Dame fan, diehard or not, uh, they may click it on. And once they see the, the, the caliber of athlete, and not necessarily the caliber of sevens being played, but the caliber of athlete guy, you know, guys on the field, it's going to be not too long before they click off. So, you know, what I would have done with the last spot is, and it's all moot because I'm not, uh, you know, my pay grade is way below that to make those big decisions. But I wouldn't have given it to Villanova. I would have given it to Arkansas State because they have guys on their team that uh, are could turn you into – could make an exciting play, could make a big hit, could make a big run or a big cut that any sports fan would appreciate. So I'm, I kind of straddle the line where I think that I can understand the model of uh, wanting big name teams in, even if they're not the best, and I'm all right with that. And I think that that is, that is a good way to go, just so long as that big name team isn't so unathletic and so bad that it's going to turn off the fan that tunes in to watch them. I would have picked uh, Central Washington, but uh, over Villanova. the 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 question for me, see, see, I, I've talked to some people who are not really rugby fans who've actually watched it. And I think uh, some of them, they don't really notice. They don't sit there and say, boy, you know, I really noticed that this was bad rugby. As opposed to, you know, when I see somebody running past someone else, I just think, oh, great. He ran past that guy. Okay. So they, they don't see that. What I do think is that you run the risk of turning off the general, the, the general regular rugby fan. If the rugby, you know, is the trade-off good enough that you get more general sports fans, even if certain rugby fans say, look, I know for a fact that this team or that team or that team is better or, or should be in this tournament, and they're not. So I don't really think I want to watch. I don't know what that trade-off is. Well, you're talking about your butts and seats and eyeballs on TV are two different things because the, the games that are actually going to get on TV aren't necessarily going to be Villanova versus St. Joe's and pool play. Now, does that get on TV? Maybe. I don't know what the broadcast schedule is yet. But my gut would say they probably won't air that game on national television. So if you're a uh, – which, uh, which game? Which game? Villanova-St. Joe's. Right. Uh, <laughs> that that it, pool game is probably not getting on national TV. No, it does not make the uh... – yeah, because I, I, I do know the games that are going to be on TV, and um, and no, that doesn't make it. So if you're sitting at home discerning whether or not you're going to tune in because the rugby is too bad, um, you're probably not – then fine. You're still going to get to watch good rugby, even if no matter what you tune in. Because some of these teams are still really, really good. But if you go to the stadium, if I'm like, okay, Penn's in it. I'm a Penn fan. I go to a Penn soccer game a year, and I show up, and I watch it, and I see Penn – lose by 60, which is a real pot. I mean, Penn could lose by 60 to some of these teams where I see Penn go, you know, not score a try on the entire weekend, not to just pick on Penn, any taking a pick of some of these teams, um, Virginia tech, if, if Virginia tech doesn't score a try, then you got my ticket once, but you're not getting my ticket again. You're not, you're not making a repeat customer because I'm not going to be duped into coming to see my team play a second year when now I realize my team is only there because it's, within our geographic footprint and you were trying to get my ticket. I, I, I've never been a person who said that it, it should or shouldn't be anyway. I, I would like to have seen some of the leading teams. And I think that there were strides made in bringing life there. And I think that they saw value to that. 
and I think that there were, you know, I'd, I'd like to see St. Mary's or Arkansas State. And I, and I don't think that any of these other teams that you've mentioned are going to bring any more or less than a St. Mary's or an Arkansas State. But, but take all that aside, uh, Penn is actually coached by a guy who used to coach the Ontario Blues. And he only moved down there because his wife got a job in Philadelphia. And he doesn't have anyone else to coach. So if anyone needs a coach, the coach of Penn is actually uh, one of the – one of the most qualified coaches in North America at the moment. Um, the, uh, but the, I, it's a national invitational tournament. They've chosen who to invite. In the past, there's, they, I don't think there's ever been a favorite win the championship. Every single time there's been a champion, it's been an underdog. So that being said, it's a pretty good tournament. I personally know that my friends in my town, Pleasantville and in, in New York, always call me and text me and email me. I'm sure you know, but I don't if, – if not, there's rugby on NBC. Um, our players, when we went to the national championship in the years that we've been there that have been on the same day, watch the game prior – you know, they watch NBC and watch the games prior to going over to the national tournament. That's what they do. They enjoy it. My team, my players enjoy it. The the Xavier team that that I where I coach the JV, those guys enjoy it. The Greenwich people who I'm very familiar with because two of the AC coaches are are uh, are Greenwich guys who coach Greenwich High School and um, and Greenwich Youth Program, they enjoy it. Um, the Fordham Prep guys who are AC guys coaches, they enjoy it. So everyone I know enjoys it likes to go to it. There's people always talking about who's going on Facebook, at least on the East Coast. It's a huge event. It's a huge deal. And if you really have nothing to do or or are looking for something exciting to do, the CRC is the place to be. I've heard I've only heard good things. Like John Kelly, who Seamus Kelly's father, I coached J V rugby with him and he's like it's really cool. You go down there. Everybody basically stays in the same couple hotels. We all go to the same bar on Friday night. We all go to the same bar on Saturday night. We all go to the same bar on Sunday night, and it's awesome. And you get to see everybody, and it's a lot of fun, and you meet people from all over the country, and you see all your friends, and you see these people that you know you may have played against. or I mean, obviously not he or I, but you, know, you see people that you recognize, like a Doc Jones. You get to see him, and you get to meet – Terry Ryland or Don Farrell, if you don't know them, like they're there, they're available, they're accessible. It's Dave Sitton, uh, you know, it, it's it's a great thing to be able to go and see these guys. These are people that you you read about, you talk about, you know, and you see, you get to see everybody up close and personal, and it and in a social setting that's enjoyable, that everybody loves. The whole the one thing about the Sevens community is, and like I said, one of the reasons I like it, they don't necessarily watch the games. I like to hang out and say hello to everybody, and it was, it, it was, it's great, and I and and I think that is great, and I know that the high school kids are stoked to go down there. I was at the Jersey Cup high school tournament with uh with the, with Xavier's JV during the same weekend as the as the national championship. Pip and I went down there, and there were. Everybody was talking about the CRC. It was pouring rain. It was 50 degrees. It was howling wind, pouring rain. 
it was horrible. I felt like I felt like shooting myself in the eye, but it was, <laughs> but I didn't because I saw so many people who were coaching under thirteen. Under Troy Bartley is coaching under thirteen rugby and teaching kids how to scrum and line out. I and and a bunch of people who you know I'm not going to name them all that. I played with at the New York Athletic Club and at and at and at Xavier and and I coached at Xavier with and 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 a bunch of AC guys are all coaching youth rugby and all these things and nobody knew that everybody else was going to be there and we all got there and what the hell are you doing here in this weather and like I coach this team I coach this team and so we all got together in the freezing cold and the howling wind and it was awesome and everybody's talking about going down to the CRC because it's going to be awesome and beautiful so. That said, hey, to me, that's about as big as a success as it can be. That's Everybody nice. who's around there is talking about going to it, especially the kids. That's a great point. And there are uh, – it's not just the CRC. you got 20 teams in the, in the men's CRC. You've got eight women's teams in the women's college tournament, which ends – and all of these end at PPL Park. They play – uh, they're playing at Drexel. They're playing at Penn. They're playing at Westchester. But they're uh, moving out to uh, to PPL Park to finish up uh, the high school tournament, which I think has 24 boys teams in, and then the high school girls, and then the military, where the the all military teams, five of them playing, and then the, there's a, an eight team small college sevens tournament. Uh, all of those are there. They're all playing, and then they're all going to uh, see and and the championships. Can be uh, will be at the stadium in front of those thousands of people. The ACC Big Ten 15s All Star Game is going to be there. Now, exactly correct, right at the end. So it, you know, it gives all of these players a chance to be part of something special. So I, a very good point, and and it is true that you know the fans they want to see something big. And maybe the rugby fans want to see something big too. Uh, do do we believe that that uh, Central Washington or Arkansas State or St. Mary's are good enough to do well in this tournament? Of course they are. I don't think there's any doubt that they are. But they're not there, and the the teams that are there, well, they're going to play their hardest. Real quick, I want to go through the pools. I want to get a quick prediction. Who you like best out of that pool? You can fudge it a little bit if you want. I'm going to ask both of you, and then I'll I'll chime in. There are five pools, four teams per. Pool A: Navy, St. Joseph's, UCLA, and Villanova. Pat. Villanova is going to go on a walk. Oh, I mean, uh, UCLA. UCLA will emerge undefeated from Pool A. Bruce. Navy. Pool B. Oh, sorry. Well, I suppose I should give a. a um, prediction. I actually think St. Joe's might be a dark horse, but I'll go with UCLA. Pool B, Arizona, Dartmouth, Penn, and Wisconsin. Bruce, you first. Arizona. Pat. Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, I'll go with Arizona as well. Dartmouth's still in there, but you know, I wonder if that, that pool was put together, kind of a little pool of death. We'll see, because Wisconsin's pretty good too. Pool C, Cal, Kutztown, Temple, Virginia Tech, uh, I'll go first. I like Kutztown a lot, but I'm going to have to go with Cal. Pat. Kutztown. Bruce. Cal. But I like Kutztown, too. Yeah. Kutztown's going to be in the conversation, I think. 
Yeah, you know, they they could lose. They could come second in that pool and still win the whole thing. You never know. Pool D, Northeastern, Notre Dame, Penn State, NC State. I think this might be the pool of life if there's a pool of death. This might be the pool of life. Uh, Bruce, you go first. Penn State. Pat. Northeastern. I'm going to go with Penn State. Penn State won their warm-up tournament. Uh, it's... You know, but NC State might be a dark horse in this thing. I don't think anybody feels like Notre Dame's going to do anything. And then the real pool of death, I think, possibly, Pool E, Delaware, Florida, Life, and Texas. Life. Life. It will be Life. Who do we think is going to win the whole thing? If, if we look at that, we're probably going to go with Life. Delaware could be second in that, but... but but if your your top four are your top four, maybe we go Life, Penn State, Cal, Arizona, and UCLA with Navy and Kutztown in the conversation. Pat, give me a winner. Uh, life. Bruce. Cal, if Seamus Kelly plays life, if not. I'm going to go with Arizona. It's going to be good. And I, and I will tell you that those, those semifinals – once you get into those semifinals, those are going to be some awesome games, and it'll be fun. And if you are within, oh, I don't know, three-and-a-half, four-hour drive of Philadelphia, and uh, you're not playing rugby this coming weekend, there's no reason you shouldn't be there. Hey, you do know, you guys have hotels that are, uh, you know, do you have all the hotel info on the website, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. USA7CRC.com has all the information on the hotels. There are still rooms at hotels. I think the main hotel is is booked up, but there's still uh, there's still room there. Can I say oh, the one the biggest problem with the CRC is the jerseys. Some of these teams need to step their jersey game up. Navy's always got ugly jerseys. Wisconsin's jerseys are ugly. Penn State's jerseys are ugly. Step your Step your jersey game up. Life did a great job last year. Texas always does a good job. Arizona's got their camo jerseys. You're going to be on national. Yeah. Dude, life jerseys were brutal last year. Well, that's the point, right? But you at least they, they tried something. They tried to do the, the alternative jersey. They tried to pull the Oregon. So I'm going to give them an A for effort. You're going to make an aggressive mistake. You still, you, at least you tried. Don't come rolling I mean, up. I, I, I'm a traditionalist. I think you go with your traditional jersey. And well, unless your jersey's so all, all the, Every Notre Dame player has a jersey on that's three sizes too big, and they look like the 1973 Barbarians all-blacks game. Uh, look good. Just look I good. wish they played that like game. I, like, uh, I actually like Dartmouth's uh, alternative jerseys with those uh, red and white thin stripes and the D on the front. I think that's cool. It's like old-school cool. I also don't understand the, the tribal on Delaware. I don't know if a Samoan kid has ever gone to the University of Delaware, but he doesn't play on the rugby team. So I don't understand the tribal design on, on Delaware's jersey. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll find out this weekend. Check out if, you, if you're not in front of a television and you are not able to be there, check out rugbymag.com for all the updates from the CRC as well as from the club championships, which will be going on. Out of Glendale, of course, uh, on the same weekend, and Pat will be there giving follow at constant Pat underscore Clifton on Twitter for your Glendale news next week. Say that again, Pat underscore Clifton on Twitter. There we go, perfect. 
All right, well, that do, will do it for us for this edition of Rugby Matrix America. Don't forget that you can get Rugby Magazine on your tablet of choice, Android, Reader, Kindle Fire, or iPad, and you can subscribe to the magazine. That way you can also subscribe to the magazine through RugbyMag.com and become a RugbyMag.com premier subscriber. And always check out RugbyMag.com for all your rugby news, CRC, club championships, Eagles, we got it all. Thank you for listening to Rugga Matrix America. <laughs> <laughs>